Welcome to MTSU On The Record. I'm Jenna Logue. The Bible in American Law and Politics, A Reference Guide, is the latest book from Dr. John Vile, Dean of the University Honors College. It is arranged alphabetically, but it also has a topical guide for those who are seeking information on specific things. As the name implies, it's a reference book to guide the reader on the ways the Bible has been used, abused, quoted, misquoted, and generally put to use in a country where separation of church and state is supposed to be a guiding principle. The moving finger, having writ, moves on after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. MTSU reported the largest year-over-year gains in enrollment this fall among the state's locally governed higher education institutions. MTSU, which saw a 1.7% increase, remains the largest undergraduate institution among the locally governed institutions, which include Austin P, East Tennessee State, University of Memphis, Tennessee Tech, and Tennessee State. The university's surge, coming as MTSU adapted its operations because of the COVID-19 pandemic, was fueled by an almost 28% growth in its College of Graduate Studies and record retention efforts of currently enrolled undergraduates by faculty and advisors. And MTSU is continuing its remote tutoring into the fall as the option proved quite successful and popular with students during the modified spring semester when the university went to online learning because of the pandemic. The Office of Student Success is again leading the remote tutoring method during the fall semester with opportunities for hundreds of students to discover ways to stay on top of their academic game plan and not fall behind. For MTSU News at any time, go to MTSU News. Com. Welcome, John. You Welcome. look good there in the uh, University Honors Commons. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You are a lay Baptist preacher and a devout Christian. You're also a very prolific and honest scholar. So how did you balance the two John Viles as you wrote this book? Part of this book stemmed from being in graduate school and remembering when I was getting ready to write a dissertation. And I had real trouble finding a topic, in part because I didn't know enough about people who were interested in the same kind of things that I was. I didn't really need something that gave a Christian perspective. I needed something that gave a fair and balanced, you know, view of people's thoughts that might interest me. And so partly it's a, it's a labor of love for, for future graduate students. Uh, knowing you as long as I have, I can pretty well assure the reader that it is fact-based and proselytizing free, because Thank that's you. exactly what you intended it to be. It is, and you, you know, one of the things about it, many, many sometimes are even to excess, but every entry has typically two to maybe 20 uh, different references, and they're a mix of things that you would find on Google, you know, newspaper articles, scholarly articles, and of course, a lot of books. How does the Bible compare as an inspiration or edification uh, to the Enlightenment philosophers, who were so important to the Founding Fathers, in influencing the origins of the nation? You know, actually, the Bible was quoted more. There's a, a very interesting article by a scholar named Lutz in the American Political Science Review that claims if I remember, the book that was quoted most in the American Revolutionary period is actually the book of Deuteronomy, 
uh, in the Bible. Who would have, who would have guessed? Why Deuteronomy? I, well, law, law related. And so you have, you know, oh. a, a, it, it has a more practical application for government than a lot of other parts uh, mm-hmm. of scripture. You know, it's hard to say if you were talking about the Puritans, uh, well, somebody like Jonathan Edwards actually was affected by the Enlightenment, but probably more, you know, by his view of the Bible. You get to somebody like Jefferson or Madison. Uh, Madison particularly was uh, well acquainted, I think, with the Bible, but he tended partly for reasons of separation of church and state not to, not to blend them uh, quite as much. You know, you have different political movements who... It's hard to say whether they're always inspired by the Bible or whether they pick the Bible up as sort of a cudgel to use. You know, your both your slave proponents and opponents cited the Bible. Uh, suffragists later cited the Bible. People for and against American wars, you know, imperialism, colonialism, they cite the Bible as well. I always gathered from what I read that John Adams' concept of sin and the humankind's propensity to sin is one reason for his concept of government, what an American democracy should be, and that the system of checks and balances would help to mitigate the evil that men do when they're seeking power. Yeah, he, he seems to be one who was, I guess you would say, sort of influenced by the Puritan worldview, even though you know, he would have considered himself you know, a very enlightened person. You know, one of the more interesting figures uh, is, is Thomas Jefferson. And I don't know how many people, you know, realize this, but not once, but twice, Jefferson went through the Bible with a pair of scissors uh, trying to figure out what he thought were the, the diamonds from what he thought was the dunghill. Uh, and, I, you know, I think if word got out that a modern president was doing that, it would probably, probably raise some alarms. I did an interview years ago with a couple of MTSU alumni who wrote a book on how the Confederacy used the Bible to justify its cause. How did both sides use the Bible to drive their purposes in the Civil War? You made reference just moments ago to uh, the use of the Bible as a justification for uh, wars, all kinds of wars and all kinds of uh, positions on wars. Yeah, I mean, the, there, there was a very robust debate uh, on both sides. You know, abolitionists would pick out, you know, all people are of one blood, and the, the pro-slavery would say, well, there was slavery in the Bible. You know, Abraham had, a slave, had slaves, uh, and it went sort of back and forth. The Confederacy, one of the interesting things that they did is they actually incorporated a reference to God in their constitution, which the U.S. Constitution only did if you count in the, in the year of our Lord, 1787, which followed at the end of it. And many of them thought, you know, maybe like the people of ancient Israel, that if they invoke the name of God, then God would necessarily be on their side. Probably the most profound person in America who has ever, you know, quoted the Bible in what I consider to be you know, most of the time, a a fair way was Abraham Lincoln, who, you know, would, you know, his charity for malice toward none, charity for for all is obviously, you know, biblically based. Uh, He thought that 
God was on his side, but he always said that it was more important to be on God's side than to worry about what side he was on. And, you know, the, the, the second inaugural address, address is probably one of the most biblically infused speeches that you would find. And, of course, you know, one of the things that came out of the, the Civil War was uh, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, which is deeply steeped in, I believe it's the book of Isaiah, you know, and also Revelation, that the idea of God trampling out the vineyard uh, of wrath. Where the grapes of wrath are stored. Yes, yeah. yes. African-American slaves saw Moses's exodus as being analogous to someone leading them to freedom. And, and in fact, you know, there's something uh, known as the Slave Bible, one, a copy of which about two years ago, I believe it was, I was in Washington, D.C. at the Museum of the Bible, and Fisk University actually had an exhibit there in the basement, fairly large one, on the, the Slave Bible, which was a Bible used down in the Caribbean where they literally, much like Jefferson for a different reason, cut out the book of Exodus uh, and any reference to freedom and just left it out of the account. Uh, Nat Turner, of course, uh, was inspired by the Bible. And I, I just found out on a television show that his Bible in the last five years or so, the family's had it for many years, they donated the pocket Bible that he carried with him to the new African American Museum, which is in, in, in Washington, D.C. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte Gross, WISE advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about Dr. John Viles, 5,843,000th book, uh, the, the, the Bible in American Law and Politics, a reference guide. Uh, he's the dean of our university, Honors College. One of the terms in the glossary is city upon a hill from the Sermon on the Mount. Yes. Is that where Ronald Reagan got his shining city on a hill analogy, or maybe Peggy Noonan, because she probably wrote this? Yes, that's the that's place. John Winthrop, uh, an early uh, pilgrim, and if you talk in the 1600s, especially in New England, very biblically infused. And in fact, the laws of uh, of Massachusetts were would, would have Bible references to them. They had about 30 crimes for which you could be received capital punishment, and each one of them had a reference to something in the Old Testament justifying it. And of course, it's, you know, he added the word shining, but it's sort of implicit. It actually is a reference to the Sermon on the Mount, where, you know, Jesus says that his disciples should be like a city on a hill, which cannot be hid. Bible verses are used to support different sides on hot-button topics like abortion and homosexuality. 
which mm. verses are most frequently used by the political activist on both sides of those issues? And the abortion is an interesting case because as far as I can tell, there's not an actual verse prohibiting abortion. There are obviously you know, many references to the Bible to life. You get to LGBT, there are some prohibitions in the Old Testament that seem to apply fairly directly uh, to homosexual behavior. Uh, but again, then sometimes the conduct, that, you know, the way that people seem to treat people who would be sinners, which of course is all of us, uh, are probably not also consistent with, with biblical principles. What the historians say is we should not apply contemporary values to historical events that in which uh, the culture of the times was uh, remarkably different. It's always been a great conundrum to me how one can consider the Bible to be the inviolable word of God and yet apply it literally to a 21st century set of sensibilities. And that, that's something people still struggle with. But they do. And, I, you know, the key is not necessarily literalism because, you know, sometimes literalism doesn't actually convey what a writer intended to convey. You know, if you look at the Ten Commandments, for example, I mean, they, they seem to have pretty much stood the test of time. I don't see a lot of people going out advocating theft and adultery and murder and, and those kind of things. You know, and Christians have long sort of struggled with what Christians call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. You have rules that seem to be ceremonial. You have some that seem to be, you know, moral. Uh, you have others that are sort of ecclesiastical, which, you know, if you're, if you're not offering a sacrifice in the temple, then maybe they're not quite as appropriate uh, as they would have been at the time. The extent to which African-American activists and politicians have relied on the Bible for parables, inspiration, and analogies over the years is really fascinating. I wonder if the modern civil rights movement would have gotten off the ground with meetings in churches and religious leaders to guide it if it had not been biblically based. I think it would have been difficult. And I, I think particularly when it comes to, what do we say, boots on the ground, that's maybe not the best term for, for but, but it sort of applies to, so, you know, how do you keep people interested and, in, you know, in some cases, you know, how do you get a John Lewis? You know, how do you get somebody who says, you can beat me upside the head and maybe I won't make it across the bridge, but, you know, I feel led to go there. You know, and again, you have, you have similar motives uh, in the Civil War. Uh, you have similar motives in, you know, in a lot of other political movements. You know, you talked earlier about, you know, we have separation of church and state. We, we have the disestablishment clause of the First Amendment. But this does not prevent people, obviously, from being motivated by, uh, inspired by, you know, their own view of Scripture. And, you know, a lot of politics, like a lot of academic politics is per se, you know, there's some pretty important principles. You know, we, you don't get into education, hopefully you don't get into religion or politics, unless you want, you know, you want to do some good. Uh, and it, it's, it's a prime motivator. Regardless of the issue, whether it's considered left, right, or whatever, Jesus's example of the ultimate self-sacrifice right. is something that has been used by numerous activists and politicians in this country to advance political points of view. One of the most famous speeches in, in American history is uh, William Jennings Bryan's Cross of Gold speech in the 1896 Democratic Convention. You know, you shall not cru crucify mankind upon the cross of gold. Martin Luther King Jr. King was, you know, very much 
motivated by the notion, he, he said famously, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer had said something very similar, but, you know, referring to how, how common it is to wear a cross as an item of jewelry, he said, the cross is not something you wear, it's something you bear, and sometimes something even you're called upon to, to, to die upon. And the people who attacked King to advance their own political agenda spread the propaganda that he was a fellow traveler with those godless communists over there in the Soviet Union. You know, I I grew up in in the rural South, heard this accusation a lot. And one of the things that was very fascinating to me was to find that King actually had a speech, which I cover in here, on why he he was not a communist uh, and how you know, communism could not aspire to the same kind of spiritual values. Bill Clinton, uh, Barack Obama, some people that I didn't necessarily expect to have speeches on the Bible sometimes have used it to very good effect, you know, much like a, an Abraham Lincoln or a Dr. King. It's an interesting combination of uh, Ivy League education and the traditional black church to combine that in one oratorical method that helps you to raise it above the standard of the lowest common denominator without losing your audience or losing your street cred, as it were. You know, one of the fascinating things when George W. Bush was president, he had sort of a secret signal to evangelical Christians, and maybe it was Noonan, whoever it was, she would put short phrases from the Bible or from songs, and I'd be sitting there saying, you know, look at that. What Do you see what he just did? And it'd take about five days before the folks at the New York Times caught on to it. One of the fascinating things about it is that sometimes the most literate people in the United States are not at all biblically literate. And, you know, fortunately, somebody like King was. You know, somebody like Abraham Lincoln, you wouldn't exactly call him an intellectual, But as I understand it, he basically grew up on, you know, on the King James Version of the Bible and Shakespeare. Time for another break, and we'll take uh, a look at the evangelical movement, the one of recent years, but there's nothing new about it when we get back. This is MTSU on the Record. The Middle Tennessee State University Women's Studies Research Series features compelling monthly talks on gender-related topics by faculty and graduate students. The series offers a chance to learn about research in progress and to chat with faculty in an informal setting. All lectures are free and open to the public and are held on the MTSU campus. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Dr. John Vile, Dean of the University Honors College, is our guest. The book is The Bible in American Law and Politics, A Reference Guide. The evangelical movement, as we said before the break, has been influential, and not just in contemporary times. Uh, How has its use of the Bible changed the face of American politics? The label is a little bit difficult. You have because all evangelicals are not alike. You paint people with a broad brush, and and especially there's big difference, especially between your African American and your white 
between your charismatic and your non-charismatic. You know, the fundamentalist movement was, you know, very prominent in, in Tennessee history in the, in the Scopes trial in 1925. And the evangelicals, you know, basically were sort of a, a reconceptualization in large part by Billy Graham, who was one of the founders of Christianity today. In my judgment, the evangelical movement has somewhat lost its way. A good example might be Jerry Falwell Jr., who seemed to have, in my judgment, got a little bit too tied into success and to getting the approval of politicians more than perhaps the original mission that Liberty University and some of these other institutions uh, were intended to do. You know, Mike Pence is a pretty good example of probably, as you would say, of a modern uh, evangelical. And in fact, if you listen to his speech at the Republican convention, he ended with two or three, sort of a paraphrase of two or three verses. And I've seen articles both saying that that has no place and others saying, no, this is sort of in the best tradition of American rhetoric. Which of the court cases that you included in this book did you find to be the most interesting? A, a case just on school prayer didn't really fit the parameters if it dealt with, so I, I gave more attention to Abington versus Shemp, which is a Bible reading, than I did to Engel versus Vitale, which is the, the prayer in school case. Clearly, this is mostly a 20, 20, 21st century phenomenon. One of the interesting things about the book is, you know, the, the typical Protestant criticism of Roman Catholics in the 19th century is that they didn't believe the Bible or they didn't read the Bible. And of course, that wasn't true at all. They had their own translation of the Bible. They did think, many of them, that it was dangerous for individuals to read the Bible without any commentary. The, the Protestants tended to dominate and they took, you know, they had control in the public schools. And for many years, you know, up to the 1960s, uh, they would lead, you know, Bible studies and uh, have prayer in the public schools. And as a result, Catholics did what many Protestants have done in the last 30 or 40 years, which is, you know, pull their children out of public schools uh, and have their own parochial schools. The Vatican apparently believes that it's not healthy for their priests to be involved in politics. Father uh, Drynan, who That's you right. remember was on Peter Rodino's Watergate committee, was forced by the Pope's edict to choose between the priesthood and Congress, and he chose the priesthood. There was one, you know, one very famous uh, Catholic priest, Father Coughlin. Oh, yes. I'm wondering why you didn't put him in the book. He was highly well, political. And I, you know, if, if I, I can't remember, there are 300 and some entries. If I don't have him in there, he probably ought to be. But there's another guy named Gerald Smith who, who may or also not be in there. Uh, Huey Long said that he could out-bamboozle him, uh, which was a high, high praise from Huey Long. And his parents told him that if there was something that didn't have everything in the Bible— it wasn't enough. If it had more than the Bible, it was it was too much. And if it was the same as the Bible, they already had it. <laughs> From, say, the late 20th century on, have politicians and political trendsetters become farther removed from the use of biblical scripture and stories to bolster their viewpoints? Has it, has it fallen out of favor to connect yourself blatantly with the Bible if you're a public figure in the political realm? You know, as I mentioned, Pence, uh, and actually not only Pence, but both Biden and Harris 
they were shorter, but both of them had at least one or two, you know, references to the Bible in their in their speeches at the convention. A Biden of, is a devout Catholic. That that's right. And Harris, I think she actually belongs to a Baptist church, but I believe she's I believe her husband is Jewish. It may be a little harder than in the past to, you know, address an African American church and use more scripture than you might if you were addressing a, a group of Harvard graduates. In the South, I think it's still not as unusual to cite the Bible sort of along with other things as it may be maybe in some other parts of the country. It would seem that the conservative politicians use biblical terms of phrase more than liberal ones in making themselves known. Jimmy Carter might be the exception, but Tim Kaine was a Jesuit missionary, but he doesn't go around talking about his spirituality you know, all the who time. Did, which would maybe be sort of a counter to that, Pete Buttigieg was a, is a fairly active Episcopal layperson. He sort of went toe-to-toe with Pence, you know, saying if, if you know, Pence has a problem with who he was as a gay person, uh, that's his problem. You do, you do see it used by both sides. And again, too often I fear, you know, it, it's too easy to pick a verse and, you know, sort of build your whole political platform around it rather than giving it the kind of thoughtful consideration that a Lincoln maybe did. One of the people that I found very interesting in this book was George Washington. Uh, you can read a number of historians who claim that Washington hardly ever referred to the Bible is because the historians didn't know the Bible. And so he had phrases that he would use constantly, like every man sitting under his own vine and fig tree. That's 100% biblical. People would read it. They didn't know where it came from. And so, well, Washington never quotes the Bible. He didn't very often refer to Jesus, but that probably was because... You know, he was trying to reach out to people who were Jewish and, uh, you know, were non-Christians as well as others and and wanted to avoid sectarianism. Okay, so where does President Trump holding the Bible in front of the Church of the Presidents in Washington, D.C. stand in the legacy of political, biblical iconography? He received an early endorsement from Jerry Folwo, Jr., One of the things that happened when he gave a speech before Liberty is he referred to, I think it was two Corinthians instead of, you know, 2 Corinthians is the way I've always heard it in every church. And then he he tried to defend it. It's like, well, everybody does this. You know, no, I've been going to church for 60 years. That's not what they say. But part of the problem in answering the question is motivation. I tend to think that he did it more as a stunt than otherwise. But if you think that he, you know, really thought it was important to hold up the Bible, uh, you could interpret it certainly differently. The Bible in American Law and Politics, a reference guide by Dr. John R. Vile. Thank you for being our guest. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back. The Middle East Center at MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The Center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East Studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. Terra wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. 
Many MTSU faculty belong to Terra, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Randy Weiler has the middle moment. MTSU Homecoming 2020 features a mix of in-person and virtual events, all leading to the Saturday, October 3rd game against Western Kentucky. Alumni Relations Assistant Director Rhonda King shares details. So we've pivoted our parade, and it's pivoted to a virtual shoebox parade, broadcast live on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. And we also have photo galleries up for everyone from our photo contest, and we invite people to come to our moving happy hour on Thursday, October 1st in the Greenland parking lot. It will feature MTSU milk that you can purchase and a souvenir photo booth. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.